open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, it took me just, just a little bit to get there. Um, want to shout out to our Broken Bow campus who is following this series and grateful for you guys. Yeah, you, I mean, two of you can say welcome. Okay, thank you. Hey, uh, <laughs> thank you, Broken Bow. I know you're receiving the word. It was great to be with you a few weeks ago. Um, you're receiving this word and I pray it's transforming lives uh, because that's what I'm after. Uh, everything we do, everything we say is, is with a heart, a desire and a passion to see you transformed by Jesus. Uh, there's, I mean, culturally speaking, if we don't see people transformed by Jesus, we are running fast paced towards total self-destruction. And I believe in every generation, in every age, in every moment, in every season, our one hope is Jesus Christ, who is uniquely expressed to each generation. And I believe this generation, um, I have actually a lot of hope as much as I have concern. I have even more hope because I see the level people are starting to wake up. And what, I, what I've been sharing on here, if you're a guest, this is uh, the third message in this. So I'm building on a few things I've said the last couple weeks. But I believe the time for our spiritual life or our faith in Jesus being a side project, that, that the season for that being okay is, is over, or it's at least coming to an end. That we, we have to decide, are we serious about this or not? Are we seriously apprentices of Jesus, or are we just paying lip service? And I don't think we can straddle two worlds of being semi-serious about Jesus and then semi-serious about whatever we want. Um, I think that the time is here to take our apprenticeship, our discipleship to Jesus extremely seriously. And uh, the way I framed it for this series is that many times the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10, he likens our following Jesus to being that of a soldier, that there is a war and we're to not just be passive in that war, we're actually to wage war. And how we do that is not by flesh and blood, or, or well, in Greek, it's blood and flesh. It just sounds weird in English. So the translators flip it, but um, it's not with people. It's not being mad at people. It's not trying to, to, to shove something down people's throat. There's something real, but spiritual coming after you. And we're to go after it is we're actually to be proactive. And uh, one of the things the apostle Paul says is that we are to be trained. We're to train ourselves in godliness. And so it's that, that that we need to have uh, weapons. We need to be trained in how to be more receptive and available to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's in that context that, that what I'm framing this around is the idea of strongholds, that our warfare is to destroy negative strongholds, which are thought patterns, um, belief systems that traffic lies. And in trafficking lies, it traffics evil. And very few people, I think, are maliciously evil. There are those out there. Um, I just think the vast majority of people stumble into this and then sin just becomes habit. Uh, and, and it's with that that all of us are susceptible to that. All of us are susceptible to a simple lie that then no, doesn't just get believed in the mind, becomes acted out in life. And we're to be trained in godliness. We're to train ourselves in godliness, um, not just believe in that which is godly, but that needs to become something that we embody in our everyday life. And this is kind of the process I've, I've kind of just been talking through and walking through. Uh, I'm not trying to prove something clinically uh, that like this is an exact process. Our desires and our thoughts, they get melded together. They, get, they work in tandem with one another. But as desires get activated and thoughts get repeated, it forms into our belief systems, our assumptions, the things we believe about life in this world. Everybody believes something. Just because people don't believe in a, 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 a God doesn't mean they don't believe. There are, we all live by certain assumptions and beliefs. And those assumptions and beliefs inform our actions and our words, the way we think about life. And then actions that get repeated become habits and those habits over a long period of time become our character. Our character is the sum total of our habits. The way we sometimes, a uh, common definition for character is who you are when no one's looking. Well, who you are when no one's looking is who you have been habitually. You just might have been able to hide it. 
It's, it's our habits. And so it's with that, those become the, the strongholds of the enemy that we're supposed to destroy are those lies. And we destroy strongholds one thought at a time. But human beings are made a particular way. We can't not think. And so if we're taking one thought captive, it has to be replaced. And the way in which we destroy strongholds, we are to simultaneously build strongholds, strongholds for the Holy Spirit to traffic truth in our life that becomes our beliefs, become our actions and words, which become our habits, which become our character. And what it means to embody Christ-like character is something that is a part of our whole life, but originates simply with learning how to take one kind of thought captive and replace it with truth. That's where spiritual disciplines come in. So last week we talked about prayer, worship. I'm not going to try to tackle two spiritual disciplines at the same time now. So next week we're gonna talk about scripture, but this week I'm gonna talk about a wonderful Father's Day topic of fasting. But we're not giving away a grill, so at least we're not making you sin. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, Fasting, it is not a particularly uh, fun topic. But I wanna begin with this frame from Dallas Willard. He says this, if the places in our souls that are to be indwelt by God and his service, if those places are occupied by food, sex, and society, we die or languish for lack of God and right relation to his creatures. And so this is where in identifying um, where desires get activated and our thoughts get repeated, we're gonna back up one step and talk about inputs. And this is where fasting and scripture will directly come into play is that what activates desires? It's our inputs. Now we're born with a few instinctive desires. I mean, like you come out of the birth canal hungry. So hunger is instinctive as a desire in our life, but a whole lot of our desires are nurtured in our family and our culture. Certain desires get awakened that come from inputs that come in. And as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, we want our desires and our thoughts to be that of the Holy Spirit, to be that of truth and what Jesus is saying and doing. And if that's the case, then we also have to monitor our inputs and how those desires get activated. And if we're saying no to certain desires, what are the ones we're saying yes to? Well, to practice We have to fast and fast. I'll just say this at the the beginning and I'll end talking about some of this practically, but fasting 100% in scripture is concerning food. Um, Another word for other things that we abstain from would be abstinence. But but if I say the word abstinence, you're not thinking about abstaining from social media. So we'll get there. But uh, so you don't fast social media. You abstain from it. If, if we're just getting rigid in our biblical language, which I'm not going to, just wanted you to have that framework. We're not gonna be legalistic around here. Um, but fasting is one of the ways we begin to monitor the inputs that are in our life. So let me just frame this from Jesus's words in Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, Jesus is going into the wilderness before his public ministry has just been baptized. And he's therefore uh, to be tempted of the devil. And it says this, verse one of Matthew chapter four, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, you know, there's a lot of scriptures that are like, are nuanced and hard to interpret and maybe have multiple interpretations. This is not one of them. I just like how self-evident this is. It's just a little gift from the Lord with scripture. He fasts, he is not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And I think the most evident thing that can be said is that he was hungry. So he's in a place of starvation. I mean, at 40, 40 days, your body starts eating itself. Uh, and and we, we, because we're, we're pretty well fed. I mean, there's still hunger in the world and still hunger in our backyard. There's still people who, who aren't able to, to feed themselves or feed their families. And, and as a church, as a, as a people, we need to take that seriously and make sure people get fed. Um, but we live in a pretty unique time in history where the average citizen of this country actually doesn't struggle with food scarcity. 
Um, we're able, we're like, we don't wake up every day wondering if we will get to eat that day. Now, it isn't to say that there aren't quite a number of people who still struggle with that, and we do need to take that seriously, but this is a unique time in history. About 150, 175 years ago, um, the citizens of this country, the, the average citizen lived on a dollar a day. So, I mean, we're talking about a recent time in history that the majority of people don't suffer from food scarcity. And that's what makes this moment right now where news reports of food shortages uh, make people a little nervous is because it's actually pretty unique in our lifetime. Uh, but this, this wasn't unique in human history. And uh, fasting for 40 days is just unheard of. <laughs> Most of us have reserves. That, you know, you fast a week, two weeks, three weeks. Um, instead of nutrients coming in, your body's trying to find all the reserves that it has. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, there's a number of people that uh, after 40 days, your body starts eating itself. And at this time, Jesus was, I mean, he was an average, you know, Judean. He's a pretty small guy. And uh, 40 days and nights, his body is star literally starving. It's eating itself. So him being hungry. So he's at a place of extreme starvation. Verse three, and then the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus answered, it is written, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our hunger in life is for more than food. Our, yes, hunger is a, is a deep, ingrained, instinctive desire. But what we hunger for is for more than food. And how we discipline ourselves toward food has implications beyond food. Because hunger for food is a natural and good thing. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but not everything we hunger for is good for us. And even things that are good for us are not always good in excess. And how we handle food has implications beyond food. Our, how we handle our hunger for food has implications beyond food. It means more than just hunger for food. When we lack discipline towards food, then we will lack discipline to any other hunger. And you hunger for more than food. You have lots of desires. You have lots of things that we have impulses to try to satisfy. We hunger for things that we think will satisfy us, will give meaning and satisfaction to our life, uh, maybe even purpose. We hunger for all sorts of things that we think will, will, will give our lives some type of satisfaction. That might be pleasure, it could be food. And so because we hunger for more than food, um, food at its base level, how we handle the discipline toward food has implications while, in how we will handle, handle any other of those hungers, any other of those desires. Richard Foster says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. It, or fasting, reminds us that we are satisfied by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us, God sustains us. See, um, culturally speaking, what would be considered cult cultural orthodoxy is that if you feel it, it's good. If you want it, you need it. And every impulse, every feeling, every desire needs to be satisfied. As a matter of fact, culturally now, um, you are, we, we try to identify ourselves by our desires. Let me maybe put in that in frame. We're, you know, 50 50 plus years from the sexual revolution of the late 60s. And now five decades into this, culturally speaking, whatever sexual desire you have, that is who you are. We've somehow melded identity with desire. 
And if you feel it, that's who you are and you need it. And it's not just that way about anything sexual. That if whatever you want, you should get. And billions of dollars of advertisements trying to put it in front of you. To activate those desires. To activate those hungers. Specifically even to pornography. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billions of dollars is spent on pornography annually. And it's targeting your children. I don't want to get sidetracked, but trying to activate sexuality in children should be abuse. That's abuse because there is a sense of moral innocence that our responsibility as parents is to protect. And if we activate those desires too early, it will completely wreak havoc in the mind and in the heart. It's wreaking havoc on mature adults. It will absolutely destroy our children, especially when we try to merge those desires that shouldn't be awakened anyway, but merge it with identity. And it's, it's, it is, it is, that's the natural result of five decades of the sexual revolution. What you're experiencing right now is the natural implication that began 50 years ago, a generation ago. And so if that's just cultural orthodoxy, if you feel it, you deserve it. If you want it, you should get it. And there's many, there's many ways you can get it, whatever you want, in two-day free shipping. <laughs> and, and now it's like, man, these supply chain issues, it's, now it's like four or five days, and this is just ridiculous. <laughs> what does that say? Like, we have built an entire culture around satiating every desire and every feeling and every hunger we have. And what fasting, specifically fasting food, does is it's supposed to make us aware of the hungers that drive behavior. Most of the time, there's now something, there's actually a difference between perceived hunger and actual hunger. That we're so used to just gorging ourselves that it's like every two, two and a half hours, it's like, I'm hungry. You know, it's just that time of day. Oh, it's that time. Oh, that's why I'm hungry. It's because it's that time. I should eat. And then how, how, do, how do I meet that need as quick as possible? And if that fast food line doesn't take too long then I, or takes too long, I'm going to go to another one that'll be faster. We just get used to just feeding those hungers. What fasting does is it, is it puts a gap between the impulse for food and satiating that impulse, feeding that hunger. It puts some type of gap to say no to meeting that desire. And that one bit of self-control has implications far beyond food. And what that's supposed to do to us by, by putting at least a break on our hunger for food, it's supposed to point us to a much larger reality that it is not food that keeps me sustained and a life full of purpose and meaning, it is God. And so with taking a thought captive to destroy a stronghold of meeting every desire that I want, just filling my, what begins with filling my mouth begins filling my heart with all sorts of junk. By taking that thought captive, I replace it with a new thought that I am fed by the word of God. I am fed by intimacy and fellowship with the living God. That's what fasting is to do with this, is to put a gap between our impulse and us meeting that hunger or feeding that hunger and specifically around food. Dallas Willard says this, oh man. (laughs) Fasting is one of the more important ways of practicing that self-denial required of everyone who would follow Christ. Fasting teaches temperance or self-control and therefore teaches moderation and restraint with regard to all our fundamental drives. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It should be a natural byproduct of our fellowship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But we live in a culture where it is orthodoxy. It is a common, we're to orient our life culturally around self-gratification. Whatever I want, I should get. And I should organize my life to make it as easy as possible to get what I want. And so self-control actually is extremely countercultural. And how we practice moderation 
or temperance or fasting, how we practice that then has implication to all of our impulses, all of our desires, all of our hungers. So why do we do this? Why would we fast? Why would we do something as insane as not eat? It's insane, right? Like if you have the ability to eat, you should eat, right? Well, that's, yeah, because <laughs> it's good. This is what I mean, I've, I've read in my, in my readings. I don't have time for this. In my readings, I'm reading uh, Ecclesiastes and it's a, it's a trip. I don't know if you've read Ecclesiastes. If you're having, if you're a little down in the mouth, don't read that. If, 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 you, if you want someone to just chop you up and spit you out, read Ecclesiastes, it's awesome. But one of the things that as the, the, the teacher is critiquing all the ways we try to find meaning, which is awesome. And man, he was postmodern before postmodernists were. He's critiquing all the ways we try to find meaning but then honestly admits then because you're not gonna be able to grasp and control all these things, best thing you could do is enjoy a good meal with friends. I'm like, right on teacher, right on. I enjoy that. (laughs) What fasting should do is make us more aware of all of our impulses, all of our hungers, and then learn to practice moderation, temperance, and self-control toward all of those impulses. So this is one of the, I'm gonna hone in, there's lots of literature, stacks of literature on fasting and how to fast and why to fast, all that kind of stuff. I wanna hone in on one specific um, vein of fasting. And, And one of the reasons why we fast is to begin to recognize our desires, just simply recognize them recognize our desires, learn how not to identify yourself by your desire. You are not your desires. You might hunger for something, but that doesn't make you your hunger. And that, that, that sounds stupid when we're talking about food, but then we take that same principle and offload that onto sexuality as if that's, it's not the same thing. You are not your feelings. You have feelings, that's why a number of years ago when I was learning how to, I was not the most um, emotionally aware person. Uh, this is where I'll readily admit I was not emotionally intelligent. Um, with a noble desire to not let emotions control me, I thought the best route to not, elesh, not let emotions control me is to not have them. Uh, which makes your emotional flexibility down to a singular one called anger. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things I I started practicing to become more aware of this is instead instead of identifying myself by my emotion, I am angry, I am afraid, I began to, to, to immediately try to subvert that to say, no, no, I'm, I'm having feelings of anger. I'm having feelings of fear. I'm having feelings of anxiety. And that alone will begin to help you um, detach the level of control emotions have on you. As soon as you start claiming them as your identity, well, then guess what? They will control you. You are afraid. Well, then you must just be a fearful person. You are angry. Therefore, well, you're just an angry person. And the enemy will just bludgeon you with that kind of lie. So yeah, so we, rec- we fast because we need to start recognizing our desires. And then in recognizing them, not identify ourselves by them, but then turn those desires toward God, toward getting them before the, a loving God who is our provider and sustainer. And you begin by food because food has this weird level of control in our lives. There, a, number of years, a number of years ago, um, six years ago, um, a number of us in leaders we felt like this was, it was a really significant moment in ministry. And we felt like the Lord put on our hearts to go on a 21 day fast. Now I will say right on the front end, you don't do that unless you have a clear word from the Lord. All right. And you certainly don't do it as a diet plan. Okay. Fasting as weight loss, you can do that. Just don't call that a spiritual discipline. We felt like the Lord was leading us on a 21 day fast. Um, and even in this process, man, God bless people. Um, we, we had, man, people are awesome and, and loving and caring. We had a baby in this 21 days. And so for 14 days straight, people were bringing food to our house. <laughs> 
Okay, so 21 days of fasting. I do not recommend this outside of a word from the Lord. You say yes if the Lord tells you. That's just good wisdom there. But, um, and like, you know, the first three days is like hell. Like it's absolutely horrible. Um, you think you're just gonna die. And it's like, you're not eating for three days. There's many people who can do this at any point in time, but man, apparently food has so much control. That like within the first week, I find myself, un- I've already, you know, we all agreed and we're all holding each other accountable. 21 days, no food. Water and some did water and juice, but water only. And I find myself at the refrigerator, open looking at what I wanna eat. That was a humiliating recognition that I am so governed by my impulse to eat that before I'm even conscious, I'm at the fridge picking out something to eat. That's ridiculous. Now that's, I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. You just find yourself wandering in or at the pantry or looking through the shelves. You didn't even know you were hungry. It's like your body just knew, hey, let me take care of you. I got you on this one. You can just check out. It was ridiculous. And it's because we just get so used to have the impulse to eat, go do something about it, just so much that you're feeding that hunger without thinking. Hence, a stronghold. And so what fasting will do is it will make you monitor your inputs. It'll make you monitor how how you, what you are doing to feed that desire. And so if you back up from desire one, you get inputs. How do desires get fed? They are inputs of our life. There are things that we desire in this country that other countries and cultures don't care a lick about. There's plenty of cultures that don't care about attention. And yet, man, do we crave attention. We don't know we crave it, but we crave attention approval. There's other cultures, that's not a thing at all. There's other cultures like honor, shame culture that have a totally different set of desires when it comes to their relationships and and status. Totally different framework that we don't care. We just don't mind putting out our idiocy on social media. So what fasting does is it makes us monitor our inputs and and the way we monitor that through food just makes us understand how much inputs or how much our desires activate our inputs. But then when we abstain from other things, like abstain from speaking, like a word fast, you wanna talk about really understanding what controls you, try not talking. I'm not just talking about introverts either. So I'm throwing that in because now, because I'm not doing scripture and fasting today, I'm just gonna have to kick the can to another day on silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Um, That the discipline of silence will make you understand how often you use your words to control and manipulate. And it might not be manipulating a person, like you're trying to manipulate their behavior, but you are trying to manipulate their perception of you. It's, it's shocking if, if you implement some kind of discipline where you become aware of all the ways we try to control people's perception of us. We want them to think of us as respectable, um, smart, funny. It was, a, it was a shocking revelation when I started recognizing how fasting food should also make me aware of fasting words. Because I was a little guy. I mean, I don't look it right now, but like I, I started high school under five foot. And my, my two best friends were over six foot our freshman year. I mean, there's a significant, I, you tall people don't even know what we're talking about. And the only way I could survive in the world is using my mouth because muscles weren't gonna work. And I was faster, but I did not have as wide a gait as my friends, so they could chase me down with much fewer steps. So I had to use my mouth uh, to get out of trouble all the time. And I didn't realize how habitual my words come out of my mouth before I recognize what's happening. 
and began to recognize how I use my words to elevate status in a conversation. You make people laugh, ooh, they like you. They think you're funny. So if I can make them laugh, I can ease tension, I can make people laugh, our friendship will be stronger. And then, you know, the immature phases we all go through. So we don't monitor that and we, we start speaking without thinking to make people laugh. And then I started realizing that the vast majority of my humor was at the expense of somebody else. I cut them down properly, I elevate myself. And all that was without thinking. It just happened. That's why James, in James chapter three, talks about the tongue being the hardest to control because it's like a wildfire, one spark, and it causes fires. And so I had to start fasting humor. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Except I realized how much I used humor to cut people down, and I wasn't even trying. That's how bad it had gotten. So I had to fast being funny, which is why I'm not incredibly funny. <laughs> I have it rebuilt habits. <laughs> Eventually, see, that's how things, habits become your character. And you, oh yeah, they're funny. But you got to be quick around that person because them being funny will sometimes be by quipping you. Okay. What you feed will grow. The hunger that you feed will grow. You feed your flesh your flesh grows. Feed your spirit, your spirit matures. What you feed will grow. And Jesus had an understanding of how inputs affect the output of our life. Matthew chapter 15, verse 16. Don't you understand yet? Man, I just love Jesus. What are you, stupid? I just, yeah. That might not be an accurate translation. That's how I read it though. Um, Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked, anything you eat, what goes in, food, passes through the stomach, then goes into the sewer. I mean, Jesus was, the son of God was extremely familiar with bodily functions. But the words you speak come from the heart. Okay, he just just made a direct comparison What comes out of your mouth is similar to what comes out the other end. It comes from somewhere. And it says, what's coming out of your mouth comes from the heart. That's what defiles you. The question at hand was about eating with unwashed hands and how that defiling, he's like, stop being stupid. That's not gonna defile you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Those things, the heart that, it, that has in it lying and slander and sarcasm and passive aggressive comments and gossip and lust and sexual immorality and murder, which Jesus likens to hatred and anger, uncontrolled anger, he equates to murder. All that's in the heart. And you got to know not just what's in there, but how did it get in there? You fed, you allowed an input from somewhere to let that get in there. And then you kept it in there. You had feelings of anger, so you harbored anger. You had feelings of fear, so you harbored anxiety. So the inputs became a desire and those desires became repeated thoughts. And so if that's what's in the heart, we're all pretty messed up. And there's not a lot of hope. So what hope do we have? Well, this is the most, one of the most common Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else. For what is in it, it determines the course of your life. You don't like the course of your life? Great. What's coming into your heart 
that is naturally leading the course of your life in that direction. You don't like what's coming out of your mouth? Find out what's coming into your heart that's coming out as lust or sarcasm and put a guard of what comes in. And fasting food or abstaining from other inputs will at least get you in the ballpark to start finding out what's coming in and what desires am I nurturing and feeding? And so what fasting and then subsequent engaging in scripture, we'll talk about next week, fasting and engaging in scripture are to retrain our desires to be anchored toward God. When we become aware of a hunger, aware of a desire, aware of a desire to be seen as funny, we then exercise self-control that then retrains that desire to be satisfied in God. That's what fasting is for, or at least one level of fasting. Fasting is not to impress God. It's not to go on a hunger strike unless God answers. Might as well just eat a burger. It ain't working. But we do need our desires retrained. And those don't just happen because we believe certain doctrinal truths. Retraining our desires has to move beyond what we intellectually agree with into what we practice, how we practice what comes in. And if we live undisciplined towards food, you will live undisciplined towards social media, towards entertainment, towards news, towards anger or fear or self-righteousness. Richard Foster says this, In experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. We'll talk about scripture next week and how when we monitor the input and are fasting food and not feeding that fleshly hunger, now we need to replace it and feed our spirits with something. When you fast something, you're to feast You fast one level of input, you need to feast on God. And that's specifically the word of God. All right, so let me just talk then about some practicals. Again, fasting is primarily, exclusively in scripture, fasting is talking about food. And you can offload that principle and put it onto other things, but that's where those more accurately considered abstaining. When we fast, we're fasting food. I'm not saying go all out, try everything. I certainly don't recommend a shotgun approach. I definitely do not recommend if you have no habit around fasting, you go on a 21-day fast. That's a bad idea. When it comes to fasting food, not just engaging in fast food, but fasting food, find something you can say no to and start there and do it consistently for a, a planned period of time. It might not be a meal, but it might be soda. It might be snacks, extra sugar. You might go all out and go just on fasting meat. It's crazy, but it can be done. It might be, if you're, if you're maybe even, and again, I'm like, this is assuming you're medically able. Sometimes where people are at medically, this has to be monitored a lot carefully. But one way to just start practicing is whatever you would normally eat at 100%, eat 75% instead of 100%. Sometimes that's even more difficult because it's not incredibly hard to skip a meal. I mean, some people, you think that's insane. I get it, I get it. But like, there's, I mean, there's plenty of times that like, you know, we're just going, meetings go long, conversations go long. You're paying attention, you're working hard and you just, the time for food passes by. Like that's not the same thing as fasting because usually what we do is we just gorge the next meal. Whatever that is, we just, you know, gorge on that one. But it's not just skipping meal, skipping a meal because I can tell you from direct experience, skipping a meal is easy. As soon as you decide you're gonna fast the same meal you would skip, all hell breaks loose against you. And you become hungry in a way you've never felt hunger before. 
it's ridiculous. You could normally just skip that meal as soon as you say, no, 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 I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna dedicate this time and attention to the Lord. Every demon in hell is putting all sorts of food right in front of you. The kinds of commercials you see are totally different. It's ridiculous. But when it comes to fasting, find something you can say no to that makes you have to pay attention that you would normally do without thinking. It's medically possible, but very difficult to fast coffee. I don't know what kind of insanity you have to engage in to do that, but it is possible. It is possible. Whatever, whatever becomes a comfort food. I feel lonely, therefore I deserve ice cream. I had a hard day. I deserve what it fill in the blank. And I'm not saying there's, you know, wrong to eat ice cream on a bad day. What's wrong is when we think these feelings immediately activate an impulse that has to be met. Because there are many of, well, the implications behind that one simple thing is the starting point of every addict. I feel a particular way. I need this particular chemical or substance or something to make me feel better. And so that impulse turns into trying to meet that hunger, which has nothing to do with chemical. It has everything to do with what's in the heart. I'm not saying that chemicals aren't involved, but um, that then we medicate ourselves with whatever it is. And by the time, let's just one specific one, not just calling this one out, but someone that has become a habitual alcoholic, you don't start there. And, and maybe started with like as a teenager or maybe you were raised by um, a, a father or a mother that medicated themselves through alcohol. So it is possible that many habits start in something like that. But a lot of where habits begin is certain feelings create an impulse. And you think that that impulse needs to be met by whatever that is, in that case, alcohol. And once, once, you, once your body connects that impulse and desire to that, whatever it is, that chemical, now those are stuck together and it becomes a thinking pattern. You believe that that alcohol will meet that particular desire. And that then becomes addictive into a habit. And then most of the time, by the time someone is an alcoholic, they are drunk before they even recognize they had the impulse. Same goes for pornography. A desire for intimacy or an impulse that's activated by loneliness to medicate that, you get the dopamine hit of something you look at and then the actions that follow that. And what happens is then that feeling now is connected to an impulse, which is connected to a feeling, and you get that dopamine hit of looking at pornography. Now your brain is stuck, and a new channel has been created. And so learning to say no to food, activating a very natural hunger and desire and impulse, Learning how to say no and exercise self-control there has implications on any other addiction we might have. And so learning to fast food, actually, if someone struggles with any other addictive behavior, instead of attacking it head on at first, start with fasting. Fasting food. Now, that's not a one-size-fits-all, everybody do this. You know, there can be some pastoral guidance in some of this that could get to the specifics. But if your impulses are out of control, just start with fasting food. And if, if food is not a problem for you, well, let's go to the second level of just abstinence, abstaining. Abstain from your phone. You want to talk about causing trauma in people's lives. You know, we forget our kids and we think they'll survive. We forget our phone, guys. We got to turn around and go back right now. The level of control the phone has over us is just insane. If you find yourself afraid, fast or abstain from the news for a week. 
Yeah, but I'll be uninformed. I would rather you uninformed than afraid, angry, and self-righteous. I'd rather you look stupid to people who think you should have every bit of information all the time than for you to just be always anxious, afraid, or self-righteous because you're feeding the input of news. If you feel envious or ashamed, abstain from social media for a particular period of time. A day, a week, a month, forever. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta do it for work. Maybe, maybe. But I'm telling you, social media is destroying our brains. And you might think, well, it's not destroying mine. Well, you're also maybe not a teenager or a young adult who've lived their entire lives with this reality. So don't get self-righteous about your issues and problems. I, I mean, I, this is a real struggle in today's world of what social media is absolutely destroying our brains. And I'm not anti it, we're streaming right now on social media that it's a tool. As soon as it goes from tool to controlling you, you gotta start exercising something that will exercise self-control. Whatever it is that has control of you, fast it. Pick a period of time. And I'm saying include food in the process. Even if food doesn't necessarily have control over you, learning to recognize those hungers and then being able to slowly say no to them. And again, maybe, maybe just fasting an entire meal or an entire day is just out of the question. Start by just shrinking portions. Stop eating before you're full. You know that's possible, right? And it's good to put that in rhythm as long as your purpose and intent is to feast on the Lord. So, you know, you can do a, the, the early church, the first few centuries of the Christian, it was just commonly expected that you fast Wednesdays and Fridays, two days a week, you fast. And then you didn't just fast, Isaiah 58 says, as you fast, you also take what you would normally do by feeding yourself and feed someone that's hungry. It, 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 on the one hand, made you exercise self-control. On the other hand, it made you see people that you previously have ignored. A day, a three-day period, you wanna just cause all sorts of hell in your life? Fast for three days. All sorts of toxins come up in you. You just realize how messed up we are and how many bad chemicals we put in our body. You fast for three days, water only, holy cow. You feel terrible. But that's to wake us up. It's not to try to strong arm God. It's not to try to manipulate God. It's not to try to prove we're so serious. And it's certainly not for self-righteous reasons. Oh, look at me at how well I fast. Let's just, you just read Matthew chapter six and see what Jesus thinks about that. I mean, he just calls you, well, not nice names. If, if you fast, it, 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 the point is, if you fast to be seen of others, Great, that's your reward. It has no other benefit in your life. And he's not saying, you know, if anybody finds out you're fasting, oh, it's ruined. There's a lot of people who, God bless people. Um, if you, there's people who, and I don't wanna make light of this. You sincerely struggle with Jesus's words that says you don't fast to put on a show that you, you interpret that as if anybody finds out I'm fasting, it's bad. That's not true just not true. You don't do it with the intent of impressing people. At that point, however they're impressed or not impressed, well, that was it. You don't just try to manipulate God. Well, that just never works about anything, truthfully. I'll end with this from Scott McKnight, who wrote a really great book on fasting. I said this about prayer. Prayer is not to try to get God to do what you think God should do. Prayer is not like a magic bullet that you just fire. Same thing with scripture, even praying scripture. You don't treat that like a magic bullet. Like it's a formula. If I just quote these certain verses, God has, you know, God just has no choice. He has to do what I tell him to do. If I quote the verses right, like it's an incantation or something. That's not the way this works. Scott McKnight says this. Fasting, along with our prayer requests, is not some kind of magic bullet to ensure the answer we want. 
Some Christians think fasting proves to God their utter seriousness and deep devotion. God, so they think, will be especially attentive to my prayer if I fast. Nonsense. God cannot be manipulated or badgered into giving us what we want. We fast because we're out of control. We fast to practice self-control so that when the moment is necessary, we are free to say no naturally. Freedom is not giving in to every impulse as if we live without boundaries. Freedom is not the same thing. That's another series. Freedom is not the same thing as living without boundaries. If that person is so free, stop being controlled by anger. You're not free. Anger has control over that person. Fear has control over that person. You can do whatever you want, sure. You sexual boundaryless, okay, stop. See how free you are. You lack the power. When we live without boundaries, we lack the power to say no when necessary. That's not freedom, that's bondage. That's why when Jesus says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free, two verses later in John 8, 34, he says, anyone that sins becomes a slave to sin. If living free means doing whatever you want, sinning, guess what? You've embonded, you have put yourself in bondage to that sin. That's not free, that's bondage. So what is freedom? The ability to say yes whenever is necessary. That you naturally and quickly, even without thinking, obey Jesus when the moment is necessary. That's real freedom. And you train for that. You train for that by practicing and exercising self-control. That then in time, you naturally can say no when necessary and say yes when called upon by the Holy Spirit. That's why we practice fasting. We'll talk about scripture next week.